Aloha friends, it's Robert Stelic. Welcome to another episode of the Blue Planet Show. In today's interview, I'm speaking with Clifford from Unifoil. He's in South Africa, I'm in Hawaii, so there's like a 12 hour time difference. There's a little bit of a delay and so on, but it's a great conversation. And we get into detail on foil design, tips for beginners, tips for more advanced people, all kinds of technical things about the foils. I'm trying to wrap my head around all the different aspects of how everything works together. And Clifford's really good at explaining it and making sense of it. And obviously he's tried a lot of different things. He's one of the first people to come out with the high aspect foil. And um, so he's definitely one of the pioneers in foil design. Really good conversation. Hope you enjoy it. Please make sure to give it a thumbs up if you like it. Make sure to subscribe to the Blue Planet Surf YouTube channel down below. I'll put some links down in the description as well for the Unifoil website. You can watch the Blue Planet show right here on YouTube, or you can also listen to it on your favorite podcast app. Just search for the Blue Planet show. And without further ado, here is Clifford. Okay, Clifford, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Good, Robert. Thanks for having me on, man. What a privilege. Awesome right. to finally meet you. Yeah, finally, glad to finally get you on the show. So here in Hawaii, it's 8 p.m. in the evening, and for you, it's 8 a.m. in in Cape in South Africa and Jeffrey's Bay. That's where you're That's at. That's right. right. Yeah, just the start of the day. Yeah. So how long have you been living in Jeffrey's Bay, or is it you born and raised there? Um, or? No, no. I was actually born in Johannesburg, but at a young age, I moved over to England, and then I'd be coming over to Jeffrey's Bay on holiday. So I've actually got a house here. I've been coming here for. 20 years, and then about 10 years ago, I actually moved to Jeffrey's Bay. Excellent. So I'm kind of trying to start this show off the season with some tips for beginners. Last year, I kind of had it at the end of the show. I asked the question, what are some tips for beginners? But I wanted to kind of turn it around. So for the beginners watching, what are some good tips for people that want to get into wing foiling? For myself, I only started wing foiling last year. And my biggest tip is to use the right equipment. That is critical. So myself being a bit of a heavier rider, I'm about 104 kilos, about 230 pounds. To use the right equipment is essential, especially if you're in light wing. My advice is to be overpowered, rather a wing that is a little bit too big, a board that is too big, and a foil that is too big. It just makes the whole learning process so much easier. If you use equipment that's too small, then it becomes a struggle. It becomes, it's just hard work. It's a nightmare. So in the beginning, overpowered for sure. If possible, I would recommend one or two sessions behind a boat, just to be pulled behind a boat. And just get, just to break down the whole process so that you don't have a wing in your hands and a foil trying to do both at the same time. So if you can get going with just the foil behind a boat, session get just the feeling of the foil coming up out of the water great and then with the wing itself going on just a normal subboard walking on dry land getting a feel for how the wing works and then combining the two together i find that works really well and of course nothing beats uh, having someone who's got experience if you go off by yourself it's difficult but if you've got an instructor or someone who's already wing foiling and they watch you and they can tell you're doing this wrong you're doing that wrong try this try this that that advice is gold Highly recommended. If you go to like a school or something, rather go someone who's already competent at wing foiling. It, it just makes the whole process, the whole journey so much more pleasant. Yeah, 
Those are some great tips, I think. And I think most of us, everybody's still new to the sport. So we remember what it was like to learn and are happy to help others to yeah, just ask for help. And then just keep in mind too, that it can be dangerous in the beginning too, if you, if you fall on your foil and as a surfer, like usually you try to kind of catch yourself if you're falling, but that's a wrong instinct when you're foiling. You want to just eject as as quickly as 100%, possible. 100%. Yeah. 100%. I think in the beginning days, when you're treading water, you only kick the foil once or twice and you learn very quickly. <laughs> Don't tread water, rather hang on the board. But yeah, with foiling, you, you learn very quickly. Don't try and save it. Rather, as you say, eject off the foil and get going again. It's so much safer, so much easier. Okay, I'm just put, pulling up your website here. So out of your lineup, what, which foil do you, like for someone your size, which foil did you start on? I started on a Hyper. I started on, on we used to do quite a big one, a 250. I then switched over to the 210, and that's what I use now at the moment. I don't know much about that. The Hyper's been around for quite a few years, so we're actually working on a version two at the moment, which will be released very soon. The Hyper ones have been out now for mm, 27, about five years now. So, so so they've been around for quite a while. Yeah, so that's actually a high aspect wing. Yeah. So you were one of the first to, you, to bring out a wing that was had a really high aspect ratio, right? Like one of the first to bring out a wing. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So. What happened was I was working with, with Ivan and Nathan from Signature at the time, and they started doing downwinding here in Cape Town. And I said to Ivan, can you put a GPS on Nathan and just to see what sort of speeds is he doing? And I knew immediately that a high aspect would be very efficient. So I started doing prototypes and I did the first high aspect foil. And yeah, watching those GPS graphs was was amazing to, to see that he could be on the foil for so long. So back then, if I was on the foil for 60 seconds, this is a long time. And yeah, he's riding for 13, 14, 15 minutes at a time. So it is, yeah, it is, it's just pretty amazing. Yeah. Nathan seems like a super talented kid too, yeah? Very much. He almost, I think he, he actually beat Kailani across the channel in the Molokai race the first time he came over here. And, and just he was able to pump in, upwind and pass him. Sorry? Did you go to that event? Actually, I did that race too myself. Yeah, I saw them flying by me. I was on a stand-up paddle. Really? Yeah. Oh, that must have been amazing. I was, yeah, I was Kailani hearing Jeffrey's went on twice as fast as I was, at least twice as fast. <laughs> Which is actually demor- demoralized. But, um, I was watching, that, I was watching that, that, that event from here in South Africa because they had all the GPS markers on all the riders. And then the foils guys started right at the end. And it was nerve-wracking. And it's 3 o'clock in the morning here. And I'm trying to be quiet watching this race. And I'm at my parents' house. The next day, I'm flying out to Canada. And I'm chewing my nails. What's going on? And then, yeah, to watch those little blips on that map travel between all the riders, just blast through. It was certainly a, an amazing highlight. It was yeah, phenomenal. Awesome, yeah. Yeah, that was amazing. But anyways, let's get into the whole relationship with signature foils and the foil design and all that i have lots of questions about that but uh, let's start off with your just your background like what like how did you grow up how did you get into water sports how did you get into foiling and foil design and so on born in johannesburg i really enjoyed i went to a technical school i really enjoyed engineering i got my first job at an engineering company doing fluid dynamics doing hydraulics doing press design which i really enjoyed i enjoyed the whole process of designing something drawing something 
and then going down to the workshop and actually seeing it being manufactured and being made and then being installed on site and actually being utilized. Uh, I've got a real kick out of that. It's, it's something that, that I really enjoyed. So at a young age, I moved over to England and I was staying in England, but then I'd come back to South Africa every year. And I think it was back in 2002, somewhere around there, I was in Cape Town and I bought these two flexi-foil kites that they stacked together you know, and you're flying them and I, the, the, the power of these kites was really awesome. And I sat there on the beach and I see this guy come over the road and he's got a helmet on and he's got this board on his one arm and this package on his other arm. And he comes to the beach and he rolls this thing out and it's just this massive long, I don't know what it was. And he starts pumping it up and he has this kite. And I was like, whoa, it's seen it on TV, but you actually have someone doing it right here in front of me. And he was the only one on what we call a kite beach in, in Cape Town. And when I saw that, I was like, I've got to do this. So the following year, I bought a kite, obviously a Cabrina black tip. <laughs> I'm sure you know those kites. But I think everybody started on one of those kites. And yeah, that pretty much started my kite surfing journey. But I never got anywhere. I just mowed the lawn and did the occasional jump because I was living in, in, in England. And I'd only come over for a month or two at a time. So I never really progressed. And then in about 2015, I think it was 2014, somewhere around there to a little town here in South Africa called uh, Neisner, and I had a whole bunch of mates who were into kite surfing. And yeah, naturally I started up again, started kite surfing, and started progressing a little bit better. And that's when I saw the a video on, I think it was on YouTube or somewhere, of hydrofoiling. I was like, oh, we've got to try it. This looks cool. It looks difficult it actually looks impossible and I was with a mate of mine and I was like you're gonna know if you try it so I had a, a workshop doing seeing I did a cutting service and so I just knocked up some molds and made this foil and we went behind the boat and this meter long mast and this thing picking you up out of the water just this totally surreal crazy feeling I still remember it like it was yesterday so your first foils you actually CNC'd the mold and you laid up the foils inside a mold like right from the start the first all my front wings have always been in, in the very first mask that I made was just wrapped around a wood core but from there everything was done from CNC molds it's just so much easier than having to sit and sand apart afterwards. Mm. So when you were in England, you studied engineering in England? Or what were you doing in England? No, I moved to England. I moved to England. I was 23, somewhere around there. And What made you decide to leave South Africa and go to England? What happened was that they made it possible to get a two-year work visa. So you could go over to England and you could travel around and go and check the place out. And I went, I was only planning to go for a year and I came back to South Africa and all my friends were still doing the same thing. Everyone's still going to the same places and nothing had changed. And I was like, I've only got a year left on my visa and I'm not going to have this opportunity again. So I thought, well, I'm going to go back and yeah. So I, I ended up, I actually met someone and I ended up staying there for 10 years. Oh, wow. So where, where did you live in England? All over. <laughs> but uh, I stayed in London for a couple of years, and then I moved north to, to Peterborough. Uh, I was in Luton for a short amount of time, then up to Peterborough for eight years.
Okay. So you never, did you, did, like you said, in, I guess in school you enjoyed engineering and so on, but did you have a formal education in, in like aeronautical engineering or foil design or no. ring design or anything like that? Or just it's all self-taught more or less? Yeah. On the aeronautics side, yes. I did go to college, but I didn't do aeronautics or hydrodynamics. That, that all came much later on from radio controlled aircraft. Yeah, Kane DeWilde, I interviewed him, and he has, like, a really good understanding of the whole engineering side of the foils as well, but he, and he, I guess he just taught himself and how to use the programs and all that kind of stuff. It's pretty impressive. And he has, like, a background in, in glider airplanes and or model airplanes and so on. But anyways, yeah, that's interesting. I'm just cur curious, like, how you figured all those things out, you know, I guess just by, by trial and error, a lot of it. I guess yeah, there, so... Yeah, there is no engineering class for hydrofoils, really. It's it, we're very niche at the moment. Yeah, I think maybe in the future they'll do something. But the principles behind a hydrofoil and a small aircraft is very much the same. The end result is very different, but the the, the, the principles of, of flight are very much the same. It's um, you know once you've learned to to design um, just the basics of aircraft, you can design a. a a reasonably good foil. Yeah, I guess I guess the big thing is the that water is much more dense than air, obviously. So it's uh, and the fluid dynamics are different, probably too. But yeah, I'm, mm. I don't know that much about it. Okay, but anyway, so you back back in in um, South Africa, learning to kite and then starting to foil, building your own foil. So carry on from there made this first foil and realized that it was way too small it was only about a i think it was about a 600 square centimeter so you needed like 20 kilometers an hour whatever it was plus just for the foil to engage that you could lift up so the wipeouts were classic every session you'd, you'd come out with this whiplash I continued designing different ones and trying different ideas and eventually i started getting this pile of all these uh, prototype foils stuck in the corner of the workshop and I didn't want to go and just throw them in the bin. It's just it's the amount of time that you put into them and, and the cost of the material. So I thought, let me sell them. So I put them on, on our local second-hand website, uh, Gumtree. And from doing that, I had one guy buy one. And then his friend phoned him and said, listen, you, you made a foil for my friend. Can you make me one? And slowly but surely, I just started making all these foils and just one after the next and just, it just snowballed. But that, that, that was all kite foils. And then my wife, she's from Canada. She wanted to move to Canada. So we started the process of, of getting my visa to move to Canada. And we left to in Nisner at the time. So we moved to Jeffrey's Bay. And when I was here, I was like, oh, I've got to do something while I'm waiting for my visa. I wasn't expecting it to be a you know, a couple of months kind of thing. And in the end, it took just over a year. So while I was here in Jeffries, a good mate of mine, he, he saw one of my foils in the back of my truck. And he's like, what is that? And I was like, it's a kite foil. So he's like, because he's a surfer. So I think it was probably a week later, he phoned me up and he goes, listen, can you make one of these things for surfing? And I was like, mm, yeah, I can't see why not. Let's try it. Back to the CNC. At that time, I sold my business. I didn't have access to a CNC. I had to go to another mate of mine's place to use his CNC. So I made up this foil, the surf foil. And it's actually Gumby. We were actually on the way to the beach, and this thing was busy curing. <laughs> That's how excited we were to, to get in the water. 
So anyway, he jumped in the water and he started paddling out. And a few minutes later, a couple of his mates pitched up and it's just, they don't know that there's a foil at the bottom of his board. He's just lying there in the water. <laughs> and, he, and the wave comes and he paddles to this wave and he stands up and this foil picks up out of the water. The guys around him were like screaming their heads off. I could hear them from the beach. Because it, 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 it was unheard of. It was unseen. He was, he's literally the first guy, uh, probably in South Africa, I, I don't know, but one of the, definitely the first guy in the Eastern Cape that had been on a surf foil. So that, that pretty much started the journey of surf foils. And from there I had to, because I didn't have access to a CNC machine anymore, I had to machine up steel molds. So I went into an engineering shop and I had, that is when I came out with the Vortex 175, which later on came to be a very popular foil. Okay. It was about uh, around that time that uh, I spoke to Ivan from Signature and we started chatting and it's like, can we collaborate on this foil and can he use the foil design? And I was like, yeah, for sure. And at that time, foiling was still pretty much, foil surfing was pretty much in its infancy. And I'd never ridden anyone else's foil before, so I didn't really know what foils were supposed to feel like. I've only ridden my own designs, my own feel, and I'd never ridden anyone else's foil, so I wasn't too sure what is this supposed to feel like. But I just aimed for having as even foot pressure as possible on the, on the front and the back of the foil. And yeah, that's that was pretty much the design that's on the map, if I can put it that way. So signature foils, they approached you because they heard that you're making good foils and then basically you started making designs for them. Yeah, so how did that relationship work and then how did you start your own brand while you're also... Because um, it's a little bit confusing because basically their foils are exactly the same as yours or are they different? No, only, off, only, only when we first started. Oh, okay. So the Vortex, they called it the, the Stealth and then ours... Uh, the Hyper, they called it the Albatross. But they have got their own design in now because obviously we, we, we're totally independent now. Okay. And then I guess your newest foil is the Vortex, right? No, the Viper. Oh, oh the, the Viper. Yeah. Yeah. And then so the Viper is, from what I understand, a little bit of a blend of between, it's like a little bit of a blend between the best aspects from both the Vortex and the Hyper. That's right. So our Vortex is our low aspect foil, which was very popular in, in, in the early stages. And everyone's pretty much transitioned over to medium aspect or high aspect foils, just because of the efficiency. The efficiency is so much higher on, on a narrow wing. So what everybody wanted was a foil that, that, that surfed like a Vortex, but pumped like a Hyper. So then I did a collaboration with Adam Bennett and this is what we made it was the Viper. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So in, in the early days, yeah, you had the collaboration with Signature Foil, but and you still design their foils, right? No, they've got someone else who's doing their designing now. I see. Okay. And then what made you decide to start Unifoil? Or how did that get started? Just from selling the foils out of my workshop, it just snowballed. And eventually, you got to come up with a name brand. I was like, oh, that is a lot harder than you think. <laughs> it's not easy to come up with a name brand, I'll tell you what. Yeah. And there's so many different names of what do you call your product? Or what are you going to call your brand? 
And in the beginning, I actually had names of various fishes, which I called the foils. And, but I still didn't have a brand name. And the one day I was just thinking about it, and I just thought uni being one, being like a unicycle. And I thought unifoil, and I was like, that's it. That is what I'm going to call this brand, unifoil. It relates to being number one, and it relates to being a single foil that you're riding. And that's pretty much how I came up with the name unifoil. Yeah, like a unicorn. That's still coming. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and yeah, and Adam Bennett is an amazing foil. Yeah, like he's Phenomenal. So, so a lot of, I guess... Having good team writers like that, I'm sure, is very helpful in designing the foils. Yeah, no, he's got crazy talent. I think it's absolutely imperative that you have a team writer who has the ability to give you feedback that you can work on. Yeah, very important. Okay, so, yeah, I remember I came over to Oahu for this event that we had a few years ago that was called the 100 Wave event, and you had a team, and the team had to try to catch 100 waves, and he had one of those signature albatross foils, and they had a whole team of a signature team, and but came to wild was just like pumping around in circles like catching one way after the other just kept like that's the first time we really saw someone just pumping like that and he he makes it look easy but so talk explain to me how why are high aspect foils so efficient what makes them more efficient than medium aspects and what what are the what are the good and the bad what's the good and the bad of the high aspect like what yeah so just kind of talk talk a little bit about that you know, and then also why you go, why you went back to medium, more medium aspect versus the very high aspect. So, so, so the way I came up with the, with the high aspect is a wing that has a very short cord line is always going to have less drag than a wing with a long cord line because it's the amount of time that the water takes to travel over the cord. That's what gives you your drag. So if you can reduce that down, you have less drag. So the highest was designed to be as efficient as possible. It was purely designed for straight line to get from A to B as efficiently as possible. So when I started designing that, um, Ivan gave me GPS records just showing the average speed that Nathan was riding at. I think it was 21 or 23 kilometers an hour, somewhere out there. So I tried to optimize the efficiency at that speed to get as little drag as possible. So high aspect foils is all about efficiency. The disadvantage of high aspect foils is they do tend to not turn as well, being such a wide wingspan. They're not really intended to be ridden in the surf as much. That's just my theory back then. And then these high aspect foils reached Hawaii and there were some riders that started using them in the surf and I was like, no, you're not supposed to do that. They're not made for that. But the guys were ripping on them. And I was like, wow, it's amazing that they've got the ability to turn that foil as sharp as what they could. But that's the real disadvantage is if you're an average foiler, to get a high aspect to really turn, it doesn't want to. It tends to track pretty much on rails. That's why we came up with the mid-aspect foils. Mid-aspect foils for surf foiling is just way better. These Vipers... When I go out on a session, I actually just feel like I'm Adam Bennett when you're doing these turns because you, you just. What I found with the high aspect stuff was you went along with the, for the right, it was going to the left, and it's like, okay, we're going to the left, and you, you pretty much follow the floor where it wants to go, and it, it's a bit of a wild beast. 
and changing over to the right, but you just think turn left and you're doing this turn to the left. Um, they just turn incredibly well. Fair enough, the efficiency isn't as high as hypers, but it's not very far behind in, in terms of pumping. How, how did you achieve that? And sorry to interrupt you, but how did you achieve the that turning, the more turnability in the Viper versus the versus the well, Hyper? Just automatically by going to a lowest, it's going to turn better. You know, that, that immediately it's going to allow it to turn better. Then the hyper profile is actually quite a slow profile. It's not a very fast foil. It was only made to cruise at, like I said, 22, 25 k's an hour. And it, it is a very easy lifting foil. The Viper, though, has got a completely different profile. It's a, quite a bit faster than the hyper profile. But mm. uh, the front curvature of the wing also helps it to turn. But a twist in the wing also helps it to turn. So there's, me, there's different things that you can do to the foil to change its characteristics. So a little bit of curve in, in the curvature of the foil itself, yeah. So what happens is on aircraft, you've got drill where the wings are like this. So when you're flying with it with the, an aircraft that has dihedral, when the wings start to tilt over to the side, you have less lift on the wing that is tilted. So then automatically it self-rightens. So now on the hydrofoil, it's the opposite. You actually put a curve into the wing like this. So when you turn over to the side, you lose the lift on the side that is the main lift. So automatically you're making the foil unstable. So you're making it so that it turns a lot easier by adding in that little bit of a curve. And I guess the downside of adding curve is that it makes it a little bit less efficient because the tips are not creating as much lift, right? Yeah. Yes. For the your, surface your, area. Yes, your actual area versus your projected area is not close. There's a gap between the two. So then you lose efficiency. Right. Yeah, last week I talked to Adrian from Axis Foils and he said to him like the surface area of the wing of the foil is not as important as the wingspan and the aspect ratio and things like that. Like he said, that's why they use the wingspan as a measurement rather than the surface area. But your your foils, you measure the, the surface areas in square inches. Is that the number on the foils? Always the surface area in square inches, correct? Yeah. And then is that the projected surface area or the it's actual, the actual, it's actual, surface actual, area? actual surface area? Yeah. Okay. So how would you say high aspect foil? It seems like it creates a lot more lift at the same surface area, right? If it has a wider wingspan, but a smaller surface area, it seems like it creates a lot more lift. Is that mm. correct? Would you say? It does generate a bit more lift. It's more efficient. Mm. So it, it, it the lift that it generates, it generates it with a lot more efficiency. Mm. So it's your, your surface area d dictates what amount of force your foil can pick up. Not your span, not your core. They do to a degree, but the main thing is the surface area of the foil. Mm. So that's why we measure our foils in surface area. In hydraulics, the formula is uh, F equals P times A. Pressure times your area. It's got nothing to do with span or anything. And it's the same with a foil. When you're designing a foil and you design a foil to lift a certain weight, you go on the surface area times the coefficient of lift, not the span. If we had to measure our foils with span, our low aspect foil has the same span as, like for example, a Viper 90 has the same span as a Vortex 150. If I had to say that the, the, the foil is measured on the span, 
it would be very confusing to go through the different ranges or different designs of foils based on those numbers. When somebody so, phones me up and says, what size foil do I need? The first thing I ask me is, what is your weight? Because your weight dictates what size foil you're going to ride in at whatever speed, not the span of the foil. That makes sense. But I guess because... Like you said, because the high aspect foils are more efficient, they basically create less drag. So you basically create, you can go faster and then that creates more lift because you're going faster. Is that basically why it so, feels like so, a, sm a smaller high? It just seems like a smaller high aspect foil, smaller surface area, high aspect foil creates more lift than a bigger low aspect foil to me. But I guess it's because of the speed, yeah? Because you're traveling at higher speeds. Yeah, so a high aspect foil will have a much wider speed range. A low aspect foil tends to ride in a much narrower speed range and then it blows out. Whereas a high aspect foil can ride slower and it can ride faster. So your speed range on a high aspect foil, the speed window is definitely bigger, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. You, like People used to say like for beginners, it's better to use a low aspect foil because it's more predictable and easier to use versus a high aspect foil. Would you say that's still applies or would you get yes i wouldn't necessarily even go to a low aspect foil just a medium aspect foil to learn to foil on on a high aspect foil is you're going to make the journey very painful it's not recommended there's tons of guys that have done it and now i'm talking about surf foiling for wing foiling different kettle of fish for surf foiling to learn to surf foil on a high aspect foil definitely don't recommend it it's and also it depends on your skill levels and your abilities and stuff but um, generally, I wouldn't recommend to, to learn to surf foil on a high aspect foil. It, it just makes it so much harder, so much more difficult. With wing foiling, it's very different because you've got your third, something to hold on to. So your stability is way more stable with a wing in your hands or a kite in your hands than without. So for wing foiling, that's fine. You can start to learn on a high aspect quite easily. So would you say that wing foiling is the, one of the easiest ways to learn how to foil or but, uh, like you said, learn behind a boat? Yeah, I guess behind a boat is probably one of the easiest ways, but without having a boat, if you want to teach yourself, what would you say is the easiest way to get into foiling? Oh, without a doubt, wing foiling is it's way easier than kite foiling, without a doubt. Wing foiling is so much easier. And it's, like I say, if you have the correct gear, you can be foiling in three four sessions easily okay it, it depends on age abilities uh, conditions but you can be easily foiling in three four sessions i've got a bunch of mates that have learned to wing foil who already are foiling however but to to learn to wing foil they're riding toe side on their first session but as i say if it is possible and you can go out behind a boat first just to get that initial feeling of the foil picking you up out of the water it's very weird when you first do it and if you're learning with just uh, a wing as a power source, it's a bit of a challenge, but it's certainly a lot easier than trying to learn with a kite. That's yeah, you know, that's next level. Yeah, totally agree on that. I've I recently started using a more high spec foil wing, and one thing I noticed is that when you hit some turbulence in the water, like there's foam in the water or something from a wave, it seems like they just drop right away. Versus a lower as yeah lower aspect foil will be less sensitive to turbulence. So why is that? Why are they more sensitive to the turbulent water? I don't know, hard to say. I just presume because it's the amount of water on the, on the surface area of the bottom of the foil, just because it's air. Yeah, don't know. 
Yeah. So you're not you, like, yeah, I was puzzled why that is. I guess it's just maybe because, like you said, it has it doesn't travel over the foil as long. So maybe, yeah, I don't, mm. I, I, I don't know, but I thought you don't might know. have an answer for that. <laughs> no, I haven't got a clue. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But I like your explanation of why they have less drag, just basically because it, it takes the water less time to travel from the front leading edge to the trailing edge, right? So it just slips through the water faster. Yeah, and also your, your, your parasitic drag is also a lot lower because on a higher aspect foil, you'll find that your foil nine times out of 10 is, is going to be a lot thinner than a low aspect foil. So low aspect foils tend to be quite fat and chunky, whereas high aspect foils are a lot thinner. So you've also got lower drag just from your frontal drag. Yeah. And you said you're redesigning your high aspect foils, your hyper lineup. You're going to come out with a new version of it soon? or? Yeah. So the hypers have been out now, like I said, five years. Now. I think that came out 2017. And a lot of guys want to go faster. So the hypers were made to, to cruise at 22, 23 k's an hour. That's just their cruising speed. So yes, they can go a lot faster, but the Hyper 2s are now going to be purely for winging. And then we bring it out a different range for downwinding. So the Hyper 2s are going to be quite a bit faster. The stall speed will be a little bit higher. They're going to be aimed purely at wing foiling. So with, with wing foiling, you can have a higher um, stall speed on the foil because you've got that source of power. Like how much higher is the stall speed? Even for wing foiling, I kind of being able to kind of like at the end of a jive or attack if you're almost you're almost stalling and then you can pump back out of it it's nice to be able to do that without dropping off but uh, but having a super efficient foil is also really nice and then having a higher top end but it, i guess it always comes at a price on the low speed as well but when you're talking a faster profile is it just thinner or like what how did you make it faster it's, i'm just curious it's a completely different section so the section that was used on the, on the original Hyper, the maximum thickness was at 25%, if I remember correctly, somewhere around there. And now the maximum thickness has just been moved further back. So you have a little bit less lift. You make the foil. So when I made the Hypers, because I didn't have access to a CNC machine, I didn't have, I didn't have the luxury of trying many different variations. And Nathan and Ivan were flying to Hawaii to do the H2O. And I didn't have the luxury to try this foil and that foil and try this section. So I had to play it safe, if I can put it that way. So I had to use a profile that I knew for definite would work. I didn't want to make a foil that was too fast and it was too advanced that would stall. If you had a stall halfway out and you couldn't get going again, it would be game over. So I had to come up with a foil that I knew was going to work and it was going to play it safe. And I knew from the data at the time that he had a very good chance of a podium finish, even winning the race because of the speed of the foil. And I could calculate over the distance and what sort of time it would take him to complete the race. But that was five years ago. Things have changed. Guys' abilities are just going through the roof. And so many people who, are, who have got the talent and the skill to, to push the foils now. You've got access to stronger carbon. You've got access to higher, higher speed. So it's just what the guys want. They want to go faster and faster. So, yeah, it's about time that we do a revision on the hypers. Yeah, the te technology has changed so much in just the last few years. And they haven't had the race because of COVID. So... It'll be interesting to see what happens. Like, they'll probably be, it'll be probably a whole different ballgame by the time 
they hold it again next year, maybe. I guess it's not happening this summer either. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see all the progression. And then what about the aspect ratio? Did you keep that about the same? Or did you make it even more high aspect? Or It has gone a fraction higher. They're setting it about 8 to 1 now. Eight, just over 8, somewhere on that. So just a little bit higher on, on the aspect ratio. So the first, we're going to be releasing the first three, which is the 170, the 190, and the 210 first. And then at a later stage, we'll release other sizes. And you said the, like there's different wings for winging and for downwinding, or are they the same? going to be the same just by size? or how? We're bringing out a, a completely different range for, for downwinding. Oh, wow. And then what about mass? I was curious about mass lengths. It looks like at this time you only have two different sizes of mass. Is that correct? Three. We've got oh. 750, 830, and 950. Oh, you have a 950. Okay. Yeah, I, I guess. don't know if it's on the website yet. Yeah. Is it on the website? I don't even know. I think on the website it only had two options when you look at the mass, choosing the mass. Oh, Oh yeah, it's 7.50 and 8.30, but so you also have a 9.50. Yes, the 9.50 so, is and, also... Um, and that's something, I, I think definitely for for wing foiling, it's nice to have a little bit longer mass because the chop and stuff, you can just fly over the chop without, it, without having to follow the contours of the water basically as, as much. But I guess for yeah, like I mean, downwinding and surfing, having a longer mass can be a disadvantage because you don't, you're not as connected to the foil, it'd be more up higher. It's, it's just that little delay that it takes turning from rail to rail on a long mark. Timing's different, everything's different. So generally, the guys start on a 750, and if you're riding slightly bigger waves, then the 830. The 950 is it's not as popular. I use a 950 if I'm out in the open ocean. Like you say, you don't have to hunt all the time skimming over the troughs that's just the long mast it's awesome you just blast over the top but generally in in the actual waves themselves i won't use a 950 i just i don't like the, the delay from turning from rail to rail i prefer the 830 it's yeah way better okay interesting and then yeah so what about mast stiffness or like the whole stiffness what are your what's your take on the importance of stiffness and are you, is that would you say it's very important and like what are you trying to accomplish with stiffness or versus flex and stuff like that that's a lot of people asking that question you have to follow the trend so if people want stiffer mast you've got to supply stiffer mast so if that's the trend and that's what people want then that's what you have to supply i personally don't the wing foil our moss are for me personally are more than stiff enough we have actually uh, we're working on an extra stiff moss at the moment i've just written the first two prototypes and yeah they extremely stiff if they're totally necessary again it's up to each individual or what they want if you want a very stiff mast yes so for me i like the efficiency of a thin our standard mass are 12 millimeters thick at the base so once you've ridden a mast with that efficiency and that speed to go to a really thick mast, it's that's what we love about hydrofoiling is the efficiency. So right. you, you're chopping off efficiency. So if you can still have a thin mast that has the stiffness that you require, then so much better than riding a, a 20 millimeter thick mast. If, however, you require to, to need such a stiff mast for pumping or for whatever it is, then that's what you need to get. 
So we've also got a an extra stiff mark that will be available soon. It's not on the website. We're just finalizing the layup and the stiffness. Yeah. And then I've, I've noticed too that your, like basically your front wing and your fuselage is all one piece. And I guess that's also to take out any kind of play or flex between the front wing and the fuselage, right? So this is something that I learned right at the beginning of making foils because my foils used to be separate. The fuselage and the front wing used to be separate. And I quickly realized that this is a weakness on the foil just because of the twist. So you will see there are no manufacturers that make, or none that I can think of that make a separate carbon fiber fuselage. And the reason for this is because of the manufacturing process of having a two-part mold. Because when you close the mold, you have a join line. And if your material doesn't cross that join line, carbon is its weakest in shear. And that fuselage just splits open the moment you uh, apply a, a force on it. So right in the beginning, I realized this, that having these big wings on, 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 a, on a separate fuselage is not going to work. That's why you'll see when guys have got separate fuselages, nine times out of the ten, they're made out of aluminium. So the first generations of the Unifoils, the fuselage and the front wing were all just one piece. But the shipping and the traveling was just a nightmare. It was just very difficult to travel with it. And that's why we then put a split in the fuselage. But a one-piece front wing and fuselage <coughs> is far superior to having a connection there. And you'll see quite a few manufacturers have changed over to this design purely for that because it is superior in stiffness. Right. The, mo the moment you have a join there, your join allows for movement. So does can you still adjust the angle between the front wing and the tail wing? Or is there like some way yes. you can... Yeah. Imperative, absolutely imperative that you are able to tune the foil to your liking. Yeah, that's that's a given. You have to be able to tune your foil to, to your liking. I've had two riders come off from a toe session and the one rider says to the other one, oh, if it just had a little bit more front foot pressure. And the guy's no, you mean a little bit more back foot pressure. And the guy's like, a little bit more front foot pressure. And they've just <laughs> ridden the exact same foil. And they've got two different feels. So if he wants that little bit more front foot pressure and you can't adjust that angle, what do you do? So if you have different weights, if one person weighs uh, 80 kilos and the other one weighs 90 kilos, you're going to want to have a different feel. Fair enough, it takes years of experience to, to actually be able to feel the difference and, and to start to fine-tune as to what you actually like and what works well with your, what do you call it, ergonomics that, that you like in your style of riding. But there's definitely a shift in in foilers going from back foot pressure to front foot pressure. A lot of guys start foiling and they all ride back foot pressure and slowly but surely they're, they're transitioning over to front foot pressure because they see the advantages of it. Okay, so talk a little bit about the construction process and how involved are you in it and so on and, and like how, how are your foils? Yeah, so we've had a absolute nightmare with manufacturing just from being able to produce the volumes that we need. And the one manufacturer that we had didn't follow the layup requirements that are stipulated to the factory. And they applied what they've been doing for another customer. And I said, these wings are not going to work if you don't do the layup exactly the way I tell you to do them. And we had a, a 
a batch of foils fail. So that was extremely frustrating. And to get them to follow instructions was also frustrating. So in the end, we actually had to find a different manufacturer who would follow instructions implicitly exactly the, the way I wanted them to, to, to lay these foils up. And when we had the first vipers come off the from this factory, I said to our partner in, in Australia, cut the thing. And he's like, what? And I said, cut it. You know, so, so they cut the foil up into, I think, seven or eight different pieces. And we just reverse engineered it because when you burn carbon, you, you burn the epoxy off and you're left with just the carbon and you can see exactly how it's been laid up. And I just wanted to be sure that they followed instruction on the way that it must be laid up and they literally followed every single layer and the vipers are absolutely bomb-proof. You can go crazy on them. They are so strong. So, yeah, very happy with our current manufacturer. And just all the details, all the small little details, they, they, they're they falling to the... So our current manufacturer is, is the best that we've had. The quality of the product shows it. Oh, excellent. You know, Have to hear that. The, the, yeah, the fitment is beautiful. The finish is beautiful. The strength is beautiful. The flex, everything on it is just world-class. I'm very happy with that current manufacturer so i am assuming because to make a large volume production you have to basically go to a big factory in asia probably so how has covid affected that i guess it's really hard because you can't really travel to the factory and see what they're doing so you kind of have to wait to get it and cut it open and see if they actually did what you asked yeah that's that's tough kind of had a lot of issues with our stand-up paddle board production and stuff too during covid so Actually, let's talk about COVID a little bit. Like, how was that in, in South Africa? It was pretty bad, too, for a while, right? Yeah. Yeah, they shut the country down for quite a while. And then pretty much standard protocol throughout the world, I think. And then slowly we started reopening up with a lot of restrictions. It was difficult. Obviously, I had to, you know, I stopped R&D here. It was, yeah, very difficult for Unifoil because we had just started on the Vipers, we'd moved to factory and it put huge delays in in our manufacturing. So yeah, we literally went down to an absolute crawl with being able to supply a product because we had nothing. That's so, so frustrating because especially during the pandemic too, everybody wanted to get in the water because they had free time. Yeah, everybody yeah, wanted yeah. to buy stuff, but it was so hard to get anything, you know, yeah, I remember. Yeah. Difficult, challenging. Yeah. Very much. So would you say that, like, for you, what are some of the biggest challenges for you right now? Like, um, what would you say that what's keeping you up? Again, it's one of those things of being able to keep ahead as to the call for product for which ways is the market going and to be on top of that and to listen to what people want that is very important for example like you're bringing up stiff masks if people want stiff stiffer masks then you, you need to be able to supply that that's that alone is a challenge because you need to be able to read the market and read what's required yeah the thing is that sometimes people don't realize is that everything's a compromise like you said if you want stiffer you can make it thicker you can make it heavier but then is that going to be better it depends on the person like if a heavier person with a big wingspan foil for them, it may, might make a big difference having an extra stiff mass versus a lighter rider with a smaller foil that's surf foiling. Exactly. They might prefer exactly. a really thin mass and they don't mind a little bit of flex. So 
it really, really depends on the use case and stuff like that. And you, yeah, you yeah. always give up, you know, you give up one thing and you get another thing. But yeah, there's no, no free lunch in designing things. For me, I say pick two, fast, cheap or stable. Which two do you want? Because as you say, it's all about compromise. If you take from here, you've got to give there. If you give there, you've got to take here. So it's all about compromise. And that it's also a bit frustrating because you can't make each foil for each specific rider. So you can have a, a guy that weighs 200 pounds that is riding a Viper 90 on a towing. But you can also have a, a person that weighs 120 pounds for the exact same foil. And they can do. But it would be nice to have one where the lighter rider rides a lighter foil. It's, it's impossible to, to, to manufacture like that. It's, uh, it's uh, yeah. It's yeah, and you want to be able to use the same mass on your big foils as you would on a small towing foil. Right? You don't want to switch. Ideally, yeah, you would use a you would use a thinner mass for the higher speeds, but yeah, but it's not really realistic that to buy different, yeah, yeah, yeah. especially the carbon masks are so expensive. We got into foil build um, construction for a while too, and we had so many problems that I just gave up on it because I just leave it to guys like you that specialize in it. But one thing that I found really interesting when interesting when we we're laying up mass and testing them was like if you have the unidirectional fiber like how do you put the layers together because if you put them all straight then you get a very <coughs> stiff mass that's stiff side to side but then it has a torsional twist and then if you put them at 45 degree angles and you get like torsional stiffness but not not so much side side bending stiffness and then I started reading up on it and I guess there's like all kinds of for jet fighters and stuff they make carbon wings and it's, it's pretty complicated technology, but yeah, do you, I, I guess it's probably your secret sauce, but do you want to talk a little bit about that, how you do the layups and stuff? Nothing makes up for experience. Experience is the key. My, my very first carbon mask that I made out of a mold was a 100% flop <laughs> because the first mask that I made just over a wood core and it was, it was perfect, it was fine. And the first mold that I made, I just thought about go a little bit thicker on, on the carbon. This mask is going to be incredibly stiff. And I'm seven years ago. Is this seven years? Yeah, seven years ago. And I made this mask and it is an absolute noodle. It is terrible. And I was like, you know, what, what, what's going on? What did I miss? And I just did a little bit of research and a little bit of reading on it. And I was like, I, I, I just missed the absolute basics of it. And when you have a mask that is constant cord versus a mask that is tapered, your tapered is far superior to a constant cord. And so I quickly climbed on the CNC, cut a, a, a tapered mast, and yeah, night and day difference. But for actual layup schedules, you, you just have to test. You have to lay up flex tests and yeah, see what sort of stiffness you, you, you require from that. So what? Yeah. So why is a tapered mass better? I guess obviously the forces close to the board is are the highest, right? Where the mass attaches to the board. But why yes. is that? And why is it more efficient? Why does a tapered mass? It's, it's work just better? the mechanics of it. It's just the mechanics of how it works. Driving your two faces in a triangle. It's and the thickness because you, those two layers are trying to shear each other. So when you push those two layers apart from each other. You, your strength goes up exponentially. So if you can make the base of the mast thicker and then taper down, because you only have probably, what, a third of the mast in the water most of the time, 
So if you can have just the part of the, that's exposed to the water as, as thin as possible, you have you definitely have a, a, a superior mast to a constant cord mast. Mm -hmm. And then, but doesn't then don't doesn't it cause more like torsional flex and stuff at, at the bottom end of it if 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 it gets thinned out at the bottom or? And, uh, mm -hmm. You do, you do have a little bit more torsional flex. Again, it's what is acceptable and what are you chasing? What are you, what is your, what are you trying to achieve with, with this? If you want a, uh, a, a super stiff mast, then nothing makes up for the thickness of the cord. If you, if you go to a thicker cord, it's always going to be superior than going to a higher. You can get away with a, a low modulus carbon on a very thick cord because that distance is imperative. It's, it's what makes it so much stronger. Okay. Thanks for this deep dive into foil design. Do you want to talk a little bit about other equipment? I know you make wings as well. So what are you trying to optimize for in wing design and like what's your goal? So we're on to a third generation wing now. Again, it's also it's also been a long learning curve. I don't design the wings myself. We have a manufacturer, a designer who designs for the manufacturer. But we just wanted a wing that was user-friendly. So something that had a lot of low-end grunt because... I think that's where a lot of guys struggle is the initial takeoff on the wing. So to have low-end grunt was definitely high on, on the list. And then just very user-friendly. We didn't want anything that tucked or dived. That, that is actually the first generation that's shown there. So we're actually two generations down from that. Those are old pictures. Oh, okay. We've just released our new wing. It's called the Pin. It's on the latest Falling magazine. You'll see there's an advert in the latest Falling magazine. Okay. That will be released probably in the next four weeks, six weeks, kind of thing. So how does how is it different from your from these older designs? Everything from the actual outline of the wing to the materials used. You know, using triple ripstop in the canopy and just refined many things. Like to me, what I didn't like on the initial wings was the amount of handles. I don't like a wing with, with lots of handles that you've got to move your hand from handle to handle. So that was one of the first things that we changed. So the new wing has only got three handles, which makes a huge difference in, in tunability that you can just move your hand slightly up and down the handle and make it where, wherever you want to hold the wing. They just clean the wing up. There's, there, there you can see on that, there's only three handles. Um, uh, which picture? Sorry. A little bit. If you, if you scroll. What, this one here? Yeah. A little bit more, a little bit more, a little more. Yeah, there we go. Oh, this one here. That's okay. one. Yeah. That was the second generation. You okay. just close that and you look at the one just above where he's, he's jumping in the air. Yes, that one. You'll see there's only three handles on that wing. Right. So that is our current design. Okay. Um, and then the, you, the, it's, it's also with still without windows though? So the five meter and the six meter has windows the two three and four doesn't have a window just because the bigger sizes tend to be that little bit bulkier and to move a big wing out of the way so we decided to put windows on the, on the bigger sizes okay okay and then what do you design boards as well or not not at this time we are in the process of doing our boards again the website will be updated very soon we're working on a new completely new redesign of our whole product list so mm -hmm. over the next probably three three months 
you'll see that there's going to be a huge change in products available on the website. Nice. Yeah, Lynn Glennell is one of your team writers or distributors here on the North Shore too. And I interviewed yes. her as well and she's pretty amazing. She was like wing filling pregnant at overdue already. Like she was already supposed to be in the hospital giving a birth, but she was still winging <laughs> in big waves. But anyways, she's amazing. And yeah, and she seems to really like the foils and she does. She's amazing on the foils. So mm. let's see that in Tedford as well. So I know there's some good writers here using them. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the what's the foiling scene like in South Africa? What I guess it, it in where you live, it's a crowded isn't it like a Jeffrey's Bay is a crowded surf spot, so it's not easy to foil there. So what do you do for foiling? Like where do you go? Where is it that where the happening places so, and what's going on? So our conditions don't favor foiling that much here in Jeffreys Bay itself. If you go down to, to lower point where, where the waves have got a little bit less energy, you can foil there. However, you are going to upset a lot of the locals. So we don't recommend it. You know, foiling and surfing is two different things. And I think safety is very important. If you are going to foil there, you need to be a competent foiler and you need to know what you're doing and you need to steer clear of the surface because you're just going to upset them. So I don't recommend foiling at the foiling, uh, the surfing spots here. We have okay. got other places that you can go foiling. We mainly tow foil. So we've got the luxury of being able to choose from a, very, a variety of secluded spots where it's just two guys and that's it. But with wing foiling, we have got a southwesterly wind that blows here, which blows from the, the town next door, St. Francis, to Jeffreys Bay. It's about 10 kilometers. And I've done it once, and it's awesome. So I'm really looking forward to the summer to 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 be doing a lot more. That's pretty much there's about there's about twelve, fifteen guys, you, you know, who are focusing on this on, on doing this downwinding. So we very and excited is that with wings. Oh, sorry, is it mm. with wings or with paddles? No, with wings. Okay. Wings, definitely with wings, yeah. yeah. Just, I just find it so much safer. If something goes wrong with a wing, it's just so much easier. I think later on we might progress to to just being paddle only or prone only, but at the moment definitely with wings. Yeah, the safety aspect is just so much higher with the wing. If something happens, if the wing dies, whatever happens. Yeah, that's true. It's just much easier with the wing because you're always going to be able to get back up on foil again if it's windy enough. But, but I've also heard horror stories of people like losing their wings or like the leash ripping and the wings go flying away. And <laughs> you're like way outside on a small you, wing board and then you have to paddle in. So Yeah. yeah. I don't know if you've, ever, if you've ever lost a foil I've never, without a leash. So actually, I've broken leashes before on, on the board, but usually in, in the waves and then usually the board ends up in the channel somewhere and you can get it. But the wing, like I actually lost a wing one time and it just ended up like from Diamond Head, it ended up in Waikiki and somebody got it and then I got it back like weeks later, but somebody heard that I lost it. But yeah, it's a good idea to put your name and phone number on your wing. <laughs> yeah, if, <laughs> if your leash happen. breaks, if your leash breaks on a foil board and you're out at sea, there's no way you're catching that board. It's gone. Yeah. It's, it just wind. takes off and it just it just goes on its own. Safety is extremely important. We don't want to hear of any incidences you know, happening. So we always go out in a, in a group. Still in early days, we will go out with a backup jet ski or a backup boat. 
just in case something happens, you rip your wing, whatever it is. Uh, I just want it to be a pleasant uh, experience. Yeah. And then also always go out with the other people. Like the buddy system is always a good idea. You know, you don't want to do stuff by yourself and get in trouble. Yeah, yeah. I think that's one of the things that's putting a lot of us off is a lot of us come from a kiting background. And because our wind is offshore, we never kite in the offshore wind because it's just too dangerous. Whereas if you go wing foiling, you eliminate a lot of that danger just because the dynamics of, of wing foiling is just so much that works well even in the offshore wind. Not recommended for a beginner, obviously. But having that mentality of coming from the kiting background, it, it really is something that sits in your mind. I'm going in offshore wind. So, yeah, yeah it, it's just one of those hurdles that we need to get around. What I find is guys who don't have a kite, kiting background, they feel nothing. They just go and jump in the water and there they go. Because they, they haven't had that fear put into them from going in offshore wind. Yeah, challenging. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I've never, I never really got that much into kiting. I was into wing, windsurfing for many years, and then kiting came around. I was like, ah, oh, I like windsurfing better still. But <laughs> I tried it a few times, but I never got good at it. But then when winging came around to me, that was like the freedom of not having the wing attached to the board and being able to. It's kind of a little bit of a hybrid between kiting and windsurfing. Right? I, so, yeah. I so wish that I started earlier with this wing, winging because I still stuck with a kite. And I only started last year with it, and I so wish that I started early on because when it actually came out, I bought a wing that was too small, and it's just frustration. It's just so frustrating. And then last year, I got a couple six meters, and total game changer for me having a, a wing that's the correct size. And yeah, I wish I started two years ago with it because, it, like you say, it gives you that freedom, and you can go anywhere you like, and. What really appeals to me is to be able to to depower the wing. On, on a kite, you can't do that. When you're on the wave, you've got such a narrow section that you can ride in. If you go a little bit too far to the left, then the kite tosses out the sky. If you go far too far to the right, then you're, you're pulling against the kite. So you've got such a narrow little spectrum that you need to ride in kite foiling. Whereas wing foiling, go for it. You go where you want. The wave power up again and you're gone. Yeah, with the kite too, you can't like totally depower it because then it drops out of the sky. You always got to have some pull in the line. So with the wing, you can really totally just depower it and it's pretty much not there anymore, almost. And it's you can it's toe and surfing without needing a jet ski, really. You can tow exactly. yourself into waves, basically, which is pretty cool. Not yeah. exactly if it's strong offshore winds, it does catch quite a bit of wing and yeah. wind and it's hard it'd be nice to not have it on the wave but i guess there's, there's some guys like experimenting with dropping the like getting on the waves and dropping the wing <laughs> with a weight or something and then coming back but i've um, seen some of those videos the guy just tosses the wing and there he goes and i'm like mm, <laughs> yeah i'd like to be able to do that yeah <laughs> yeah that's interesting but anyway so i guess in south africa the biggest wind wing foil scene is probably in cape town and that's because there's mm. wind and there's like a Very big much. wind scene and everything so yes. is that where you, like, where would you say, do you sell the most foils? Is it in, in South Africa or where, which market is the most um, lucrative for you or the most successful? I only deal with uh, South African distribution. So I only sell in, in, in South Africa. But yeah, Cape Town definitely is by far the fastest growing and the biggest scene. It just works there. You've got wind all the time, the summer season. So yeah, it just works really well. 
Yeah. And a lot of Europeans come when, because it's, when it's winter in Europe, it's summer in Cape Town and they go down there to enjoy the wind, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I was in Cape Town quite a few years ago and I hadn't been to to Dolphin Beach in, in years and pitching up there and you see literally 50, 60, 70, 80 kites. It's crazy. It's yeah, just hundreds of kites. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess that's not the case where you are. And yeah, so <laughs> I guess you're, it's more, it's actually kind of more rare to see foil, people foiling there. And Jeffrey's not, yeah. not as many places to go. Interesting. No. But is, are there ways that are like, Jeff, like when you do go toe foiling, are there ways that you can ride super long, ride, get super long rides on the foil like that? Like the, those kind of secret spots you're talking about or? Yeah, we've got like our local spot where when the swell comes through, we just go through and tow. But there are some places that where you can get really long rides. Yeah, for tow foiling, it's completely different because of the, like I said, you've got the accessibility to choose where, where you want to go. We don't really have crazy big waves or anything here. There's a couple guys in Cape Town that ride dungeons, which, which is a massive wave. It's an absolute monster. Not for me, though. It's, uh, yeah, it's a, bit, a bit crazy. Here on the North Shore, a lot of times when there's big waves, on, when you're wing foiling, you can catch the wave like from two miles out and ride it for like almost a mile before you get to where the surfers can catch it so we got like this yeah. huge playground and then we just kick out and then the guy the surfers get like the last little bit right before the, the wave hits the beach but yeah. so it's, it's pretty cool it always opens it way up to be able to get the foils are so efficient that you can you don't need a steep wave you just need a kind of a little bit of a wall or something you can ride I think you know? as the sport progresses i think you'll have a lot more people seeing exactly that that's why surfing never really appealed to me because the amount of time that you're on the wave, the amount of time that you had to dedicate to the sport, I just didn't have that luxury of that time. And to go for a two-hour surf session and catch three, four, five waves of 20, 30 seconds each, that, that, that didn't really appeal to me. It, whereas kiting, you're on the board all the time. You have a two-hour session, you're on the board for two hours. And I think this is when more surfers see, see the appeal of foiling, where, you, like you say, you can go out crazy far and you can ride for so much longer. I really think that we're in the infancy of wing foiling. It's just going to grow exponentially. Yeah. Do you think it's going to get crowded or where people are going to be not telling other people where they're going because they don't want more people to show up or something like that? I, th- you know, I like think we're still people. a long way from that because there are so many spots. It's the same as with surf foiling. Guys are now looking at areas that you'd never consider to go and surf because the conditions don't work. So I think it's going to be the same with wing foiling. As, as, as long as you've got a decent wind, a steady wind, then yeah. it doesn't even have to be that steady, but uh, consistent. Yeah, you can go jump in the water and have a blast with that. Yeah, one of the beauty, beautiful things about wing foiling is that you can really do it anywhere. You don't need waves, really. You don't. You just need water and wind. So you, And you don't need like a big beach where you can launch a kite or whatever. You can just walk down some rocks and jump in and, and go wing pretty much anywhere. Exactly. So that's, it's, it really opens it up to pretty much anywhere in the world, really, which is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. So for you, like you said, you've been winging for about a year. You wish you've done it sooner and stuff. But would you say for learning, is it mostly practice or is it more talent? Or would for your, yourself, would you say that you you learn just, is it just putting in the time to get better? Or 
do you take things from other sports and it's like certain things you already know and learn, learned and observed and me, so on? To me, wing foiling is no different than riding a bicycle. If you can ride a bicycle, does it require talent to ride a bicycle? Not really. It, it requires the time to, to climb on it and to spend that time to, to get your muscle memory to, to recognize the, the inputs that are required to balance. And wing foiling is exactly the same. So anyone that is able, that has the time to dedicate to the sport can do it. You do need a measure of fitness, especially when you climb on that board and you fall off and you climb on that board, it, it wears you out pretty quick. So you do need a level of fitness, but if you can ride a skateboard, you can wing foil. That's the way I see it. If you've got the time to dedicate to it, you don't need any special talents or anything like that. No. Obviously, if you don't come from a boarding background, it's going to take a little bit longer. But I think it's a definitely it's not a very difficult sport to learn. Uh, I would say it's pretty much on par to, to learn to kind of arguably maybe even easier because you don't have that fear of being ripped through the air. So I suppose you do have the fear of falling on the foil, but that's, yeah. But uh, yeah, to, to anyone, if you're looking to start wing foiling, the sensation is just incredible. It's, you know, when, when you're a spectator and you watch it, it's a bit boring. It's, it doesn't look that great. But when you're on that foil and you're flying, it's, yeah, it's an incredible sensation. Yeah, it's funny because pretty much everybody, including myself, when they first saw a wing, that doesn't look that cool. It's like, when you try it and they like... I said the same thing. On, yeah, you're instantly hooked on this, that, that sensation of flying over the water. It's, it's incredible. Just being able to do it without stopping. Yeah. Like when you're surfing, you always have to paddle back out and then you got like another minute on the foil and then you have to spend 10 minutes to catch your next wave. But winging, you're exactly. just like always flying back and forth and you can... Exactly. It's an amazing sensation, I agree. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So tell me a little bit about your friend Gumby. He's actually the one who emailed me and told me I should interview you and stuff, but he said he's your towing partner. Yeah, yeah. So I've known Gumby for, for quite a few years. And as I said earlier, when I said, I think I was at his mummy law's place and he saw this that tow foil, that uh, kite foil in the back, he, he's a full on surfer and he saw that and, he, and I could see something he was, he's intrigued by it. But those first few sessions that they got him going, the stoke was just through the roof it is, it is incredible it's just just so awesome to to see him ride this foil and yeah really a, a milestone well this is the beginning for for you and then, then yeah just through the years he's uh, he's pretty much been the first guy to ride my prototypes now we've got uh, dedicated uh, team riders in, in the first early days myself and gumby would go and tow foil and whatever we were riding together i learned how to tow foil from gumby So are you, when you go toe foiling together, are you similar weights? Do you use the same board and foil setup or you got each got your own? Use the same? No, we use the same setup. I'm a little bit heavier than what he is. I think 90s or mid 90s. He's taller than what I am and definitely more skillful. He's just got a really nice flow to his foiling. I struggled, I struggled with the toe foiling coming from the kite foiling background. When you, it's the same as wing foiling. When you've got something in your hands, it just makes it so much easier. You've got that stability to turn and everything. Because I didn't surf, when you don't, have, when I don't have that stability in my hands, it took me a while to get that feeling of just standing on the board and not having that extra support in your hands. So it took me a while to to get used to that.
you know, you have to be a lot more centered to fly on it without holding something in your hand. You have to be right over the foil. You can't be like offset a little yeah. bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yes. on, on, on a kite or a wing, it's, it's so much more forgiving because if you still lose your balance, you can just pull on the wing or pull on the kite. When you're toe foiling, there's nothing to pull on. But yeah, we, we, we've had some really amazing sessions. Um, yeah, I've, awesome. I've really enjoyed the time. Yeah. I have a friend, Jeff Chang, and when I go with him, I just use whatever he's using because I know he's like about the same weight and same skill level, more or less. So we just always share the same board and it's so much easier. But pretty much everyone else I know, they each each person has their own setup. So they have to have one on the jet ski and one in the water, and then they have to switch it out and stuff like that. And just when, you know, and then when a big wave comes and you have to get that foil out of the water, you got two two sets on your um, jet ski it's kind of dangerous <laughs> that sounds right? like so, a nightmare yeah it's I, I think it makes a lot of sense to just have one one board and foil to deal with and <laughs> rather than two what, what's really cool is that we've got a system that works we know how to tow each other into waves we know how to pick each other up out of waves we know that we're in when you're in the crunch zone we know how to get out of there so, so explain uh, to me how exactly you do it like when there's a wave coming and there's a guy in the water you got to pick him up quickly how do you handle it how do you manage well, the foil What's different between Gummy and I is I'm goofy and he's natural. Oh. So I tow on the other side of the ski, he tows on the other side of the ski. That, that, that's just the one thing. So when I tow him, I tow him clockwise onto onto waves. When he tows me, anti clockwise onto waves. And no no straps on the board. Did you use straps? No, no, no strapless. So when when we're in the white water, to be able to recover the board quickly enough and to recover the rider as well. So instead of trying to get the rider to get to the board to put it on, onto the sled, the driver of the jet ski just picks the board up and puts it in the footwell of the jet ski and the foil just sticks out just the one side and then the rider can just grab onto the sled and you're out of there. So we actually were, we were talking the other day and we're like, we need to put a handle on this board because when you're trying to grab the board with just one hand, and that's the other thing is when you pick up the board, I naturally always go to pick up the board with my right hand, and that's your, your throttle hand. And I'm like, mm, wrong side. So you pull the strap off the throttle. I let go of the throttle. So oh, I, I need yeah. to be able to keep my hand on the throttle. So I need right. to use the hand, as you say, has got the, the emergency kill switch. Yeah. So it's, it's a bit challenging, um, but it's uh, it, it's working. It, it, it's, it's, we've got our system quite refined. Yeah, so that, yeah, one way is to just let the yeah get the board and the, then get the person or whatever. But what we found that what works pretty well is if you put if you flip it upside down, have the foil sticking up, and then the jet ski driver grabs the foil <laughs> and puts it under like puts the mass under his butt, sits on the foil, and then the rider jumps on the sled in the back. If, but if, it's, if the rider and the foil are still together. Then he just chucks the board onto the sled with the foil up, as you say, yeah. and he lies on the board, and then you're out of there. If the two get separated, then the guy that's that's riding the jet ski sometimes has to pick up the board. So yeah. it, it depends on how it falls apart. But most of the time, I'll pick Gumby up, and then we'll go and pick the board up afterwards. But now recently, with the swell that we've had, when, we, obviously we don't use a, a leash, the board's ended up on the beach. Because it just takes off and it just goes. So right. we've been using we've been using quite a small foil lately, which we've been really enjoying. I was actually surprised that we we're riding such a small foil, but it's yeah. What it, size when, wing are you riding? It's a ninety. It's the Viper ninety. Hmm. It's the smallest in the range, <clears throat> and I've had a few guys tow foil with it, and the first thing they say is that they're so surprised that it's a ninety. They say it feels just so much bigger. 
Yeah. When you have the speed, anything feels big because you create like the speed is what creates the lift, right? It's like when you go on a big wave, when you're going super fast, it's like it always wants to blow out of the water, no matter how small it is. That really seems like I've actually got guys, they're they're funny up and they're like, can you make a smaller foil? We need something smaller. We need need a 60 or a 70. So I'm sure uh, when I get a chance, I'll, I'll be making a few small prototypes. Interesting. Yeah, so what's new and what's what does the future hold for foiling? Wait, are you, do you think we're kind of at, at a close to getting to the maximum performance or are we still far away and we still got a lot of room to... Are, there are things that I think are going to come into foiling. I've said uh, a couple of years ago, it's just going to be a matter of time until someone starts putting moving surfaces into foils. I'm actually surprised no one's done it yet. We all have stabilization on your foil. I started drawing it, I started toying with the idea, but it's, I've just got so much work on at the moment to go down that rabbit hole is, it's a long rabbit hole. I think it's just a matter of time until someone puts a couple servos on a foil with the stabilization system and then you can remove the stabilizer and you can have an app on your phone or a remote or whatever, and you can dial in whatever stability that you want on your foil so that ultimately is until someone does that interesting so you're talking like a servo that automatically stabilizes the foil making it like almost like an autopilot foil that you don't really have to control as much with your own body weight you can control the sensitivity of the foil through at the moment we use a shim to change the deckly chain you need to go and take the two screws out put your shim in or however your system works whereas if you have a digital foil you just type in a number and it'll automatically work to whatever you've adjusted it to. So it's not just your front foot pressure, you can change the roll rate. You can make it self-stabilizer, you can make it unstable. You can, the parameters are endless. That's, uh, and I think until it's done, we're not gonna know. But I think that is going to change foiling again, the same way that high aspect foiling, high aspect wings changed foiling. I think digital foils will change foiling. It'll be like a huge step. Interesting. Yeah. Actually, I interviewed Mark Rappahorst too, and he actually experimented with something like that. He said it was kind of a failed experiment. But yeah, he wanted to make a foil that basically takes off easily at low speeds for downwinders, easy to take off. But then as you go faster, you want it to reduce the drag and have less lift basically as you're going faster you're going the less lift you want so yes that, there's definitely kind of yeah that, that would be awesome to have a foil that creates a lot of lift at low speeds when you want to take off and then becomes exactly. low drag and low and fast at high speeds so exactly if you just awesome. dial in a little bit of camber on, on your foil like you say as you take off get you up on the foil dial in a bit of reflex at whatever speed it is or it can be tuned in gradually and you're out of there so that, that, in my opinion, is the ultimate. If it's going to be done, if it's possible to do it, we'll have to wait and see. All right. So tell us a little bit more about yourself. What's your daily routine? Do you, do you go surfing or like what for fun other than foiling and working? Do you have any other hobbies or do you have a morning routine? What's your typical day? Yeah, pretty much. Oh, you froze. Are you still there? Yeah, no. So as I was saying, I've got a list that I work to and I just go through whichever task has priority. 
and I just worked through that list. So, you know, like today, obviously we dialed in to do this podcast, and then this afternoon I'm going toe foiling. So I've got some new gear that I want to try out. We've come out with a new range of tail stabilizers. I'll show you here. Yeah, sure. So you basically listen. Toe, toe foiling is part of the job here. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's true. That's true yeah. So, so oh, these wow. are our these are a, a set of tails. So all six of these tails are actually different. So and it's, like other CNC uh, G10 or what is it kind of? Yeah, these, these are all CNC G10s. Kind of like how it came to a while does um, have some tails, right? Yeah. So the purpose of these tails is. Um, uh, it's a new idea that I've been working on and it's to help the riders who are still riding with back foot pressure to transition over to front foot pressure and to see the advantages of it. So there are three tail stabilizers in, in, in the pack and by going through the three different tails, you'll, it'll, it'll, what's the word, it'll show you progressively how you're progressing in your foiling. So I wouldn't recommend them for an absolute newbie because you're not going to feel the difference. So once you're already foiling and you can do a top turn and a bottom turn, and now you're starting to become more efficient and you're starting to push your, your, your boundary, um, that's the purpose of these tails is to push that boundary a little bit further. So that's what I'm working on. You know, I'll be riding them today and trying them out, just continue developing them. But that's one of the next uh, releases that we're going to be doing. Okay, so can you explain that a little bit to me? Because I was just thinking, so basically, because the, the tail wing creates a downward force and the front wing creates an upward force, right? So when you have more back foot pressure, that means the tail doesn't have as much downward force, so you kind of have to compensate with your back foot pressure. So basically by creating more downward lift, you create more front foot pressure. Is that that's right. So what it is, it's down to personal taste and if you come from surfing, naturally you like more. Just about every foil that I've spoken to that has come from surfing has started liking back foot pressure. But it has a disadvantage and that is when you're charging down the face of a wave. Because what happens is the front of your board wants to dive and now you need to lean backwards to stop the front of the board diving and you're now shifting your center of gravity behind the center of lift creating an unstable platform so your form now becomes very unstable and it's difficult to control and that's why i'm saying to the guys start to shift over to front foot pressure because when you're charging and you charge down a wave if you've got front foot pressure you're shifting your center of gravity over the center of lift naturally creating a stable platform there's a saying for all the guys that fly radio control airplanes, no, and that is a nose-heavy airplane flies terrible, but a tail-heavy airplane flies once. And that's because it's unstable. It, 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 it doesn't handle. And it's exactly the same with a hydrofoil. So if you're struggling with your foil setup and you have rear foot pressure, put in a shim or increase a little bit of, uh, of the decklage angles so that you've got a little bit of front foot pressure and automatically you'll make the foil more stable. And, and it's difficult. It's the same as guys that go from surfing to snowboarding. Surfing all back foot pressure and now you're going down a mountain and now you've got to put all your front foot pressure onto your front foot going down a mountain. It's the last thing you want to do. But you've got to commit it and you've got to do it. And if you do that, then you can make the... And that's what I recommend to, 
to guys who are still foiling with, with rear foot pressure is to slowly transition over to front foot and your stance, everything changes. And I think it's the next step on the ladder on your, your progression. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, it is a lot of parallels to snowboarding where you kind of have to throw yourself down into the into the turn down the hill to, to carve a nice turn, right? You can't lean on your back foot. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, yeah, uh, yeah, it's kind of the same. You want really because the front wing is where you is your where you that you're you're riding the front wing, not the back wing. So yeah, yeah I personally mean, like a very balanced foil. I don't like it. I don't like excessive front foot pressure. I can't keep my front foot pressure as light as possible. However, as you're going through the speed range, if you get to a point where the foil tucks, you don't have enough front foot pressure. So it becomes pitch sensitive. So if your if your foil is pitch sensitive, then you're riding a tail stabilizer that's too small. So either increase the surface area of your tail stabilizer or increase the angle so that it creates more downward pressure. Have you played around with the um the angle of the mass, the way it attaches to the board, like I guess basically the board. I guess early on when people were just sticking the plate mount, uh, stick on mounts on their surfboards and then they had a lot of rocker in the tail and then the foil was angled down too much and they couldn't get any lifts on the takeoffs. And then people were using shims to get more lift. But then the thing is the downside of having too much pitch angle, then you end up at higher speeds with flying kind of with the nose pointed downward yeah, to keep it keep the foil in the water so do you have, have you played around with that like so before? right in the beginning when i started making plate mount masts and i realized that i would say 70 80 percent of the foils that were being sold were being retrofitted into surfboards and naturally you have a rocker on the surfboard so all the first generation unifoils all had a natural tilt in the mast so the actual top base plate had a tilt already built into it oh, yeah. um, and <clears throat> I did those masts for probably two years maybe three years and then there were a lot of companies that were making dedicated foil boards and I said to the guys as long as the back of the foil board was straight then you could use just a standard mast but if you had a bit of rocker in, then either you need to shim the mast but to get the fuselage parallel to the board. Yeah, that's pretty much how you, our first unifoils were made with a built-in angle in the base plate. And then only later on, when the guy started making foil boards, that I actually changed to a flat base. Yeah. Yeah, but I think some people don't realize how much of a difference that makes in how the board feels. like. If you if you put just a one degree shim between your mass and board, it makes a big difference. Like just how the board handles too. Yes. And the, the, this is one of the things that I encourage, especially newcomers to the sport, is to move the gear around. Don't just put it in one place and, and force yourself to learn. It took a couple guys out for a, a session, and just by moving the mast on the board made such a difference because I was riding, because I'm a heavier guy <clears throat> and the guys that I was taking out were a lot lighter. Just by shifting that mast, just that little bit back, made the difference whether they could actually get up and get foiling and whether they couldn't. So I highly, <coughs> excuse me, I highly to, if you're a newcomer, to move your mast backwards and forwards in the boxes because every foil is different, every manufacturer is different and to try and dial in the sweet spot that works for you. 
because what works for me is not necessarily going to work for you. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And then a lot of times it's not a big change. Like you don't need to move it like two inches. You just move it like a half an inch or something and that'll make a noticeable mm. difference. It's also even to the conditions. If I go out and I see Ooh. conditions are big, then I'll shift the mast back a little bit. If I see oh, conditions are small, then I'll shift it a little bit forward. So it doesn't necessarily just stay in one place. It all depends on... and. It, Nothing makes up for experience. It's like with the kites, when the guys go out, oh, what size kites should I use? It's the same with the foil. What setup should I use? Where should I put the foil? And by riding more and more, you become in tune with this. Where to put the mast on the board, a little bit back, a little bit forwards. I think in a way it's also been a frustration because I'm riding different gear all the time. And I don't become in tune with just one setup. Although I must have been out to the Gumby, he's Piper 130, where's it? Bring it, because that's all we write, you know, all we tow together. And now we've shifted over to the to the Viper 90. But uh, yeah, that's in a way it's an advantage, but it's also a disadvantage of riding gears constantly changing, trying this and trying that and trying this. And but it's I enjoy it. It's it's, it's awesome. It's kind of a dilemma for you too, because it's kind of part of your job to test different gear and always <laughs> you always have to keep trying different things. But then on the other hand, to me, I like I'm kind of the guy that once I figure out what works and then I like to just kind of make it my own. Stick with it. Like I just leave it and then this works for me. I'm gonna and then every time you ride it, you become more used to it and it becomes kind of you just develop those nerve I don't know, like the muscle memory, you just like know what the thing's gonna do. But every trust time in the fall, yes. It's like the, the analogy you said with the bicycle. Yeah, it's like riding, learning to ride a bicycle, but every time you change the foil, you have to learn the new bicycle. Maybe the wheels are a little bigger or whatever, or the handlebars yes. narrower or something. Like it's yes. different every time you ride, change something, you have to learn yes. it again. But if you use the same one over and over again, you become very proficient and very used to it where you don't have to think about it. It just, it just it becomes a natural thing. And yes. that's also very valuable. So. I think both both there's value to both the trying new things and learning what it does, but also once you have something that works for you, just use use it and get good at it. You don't always have to. Some people are just always buying new stuff and changing stuff, and they never really learn how to use it properly. So before they get the next one, so there's yeah, there's a little bit of truth to both. I think right. So yeah, very much. <clears throat> All right. So what do you want to leave people with, like getting into wing? A lot of people that are watching, I think, are, you know, just learning and, and uh, figuring things out. Like, what do you want to... I think what's important is I get so many guys that phone me up and oh, I want a foil. And the first thing I ask is, what do you want to do with the foil? And when it's a complete newbie, he wants to do everything with the foil. And it's like, you, you need to pick which category do you want to go down? What kind of foiling do you want to do? And what do you want to do with the foil? So <clears throat> that's important is what is your end objective? If you want to wing foil, because a wing foil setup is, you can transition it over to surf foiling, but it's not really ideal. You, you can use surf oiling on wing foiling equipment. Yes, uh, it is possible. But what's important is to see what is the most important thing to you. What are you going to be chasing? What is it that you want to achieve? So if it's wing foiling, it's important to get the correct gear for it. If it's surf oiling, get the correct gear for surf oiling. So that that is my advice, is to buy the correct gear for the job. There's nothing worse than seeing something for sale, for sale second and it's cheap buying it and it's not right. Rather get 
the right gear that's going to help you to achieve what you're wanting to do from the right design to the right size. It's so important, so important. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It's funny because a lot of beginners, yeah, like when they buy a foil board, they want like the seven in one. They want the one that's it's good for stand up surfing, it's good for wing foiling, it's good for downwinding and, and prom foiling too. And <coughs> they want one board that does everything. And then, it's like, yeah, we, we order a board like that for you, then somebody makes one, but it's not going to be good for any of those things because it's yeah. just like, it does, it does all those things poorly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't do anything well. But, yeah, but I guess for a beginner, that, that it might work because at least it gets them into it. It's kind of like the soft top surfboard that they buy at Costco to get them started. It's something to get yes. in the water with and learn the basics. But then, yeah, once you figure out what you want to do, that's it's not going to be the right one anymore. Yeah, it's also it's a very difficult line to you know give advice on with even board size. I see boards that are 160 liters, and I'm like, that is a massive board. I personally would never recommend someone to buy something like that because you're going to use it twice, and you've outgrown it. So if it's for a surf school, yes, but to actually go and buy something that is that big it's just too big unless you're a, a big guy or something but it's so important that whoever's making the recommendation to the equipment that you're using specifies the correct equipment it's yeah that's so important yeah very true yeah and that's actually another good tip like when you're starting out maybe go take a lesson to, at a school that has oh. a leader board that a couple of times and then you buy a board yeah yeah Definitely. I highly recommend to, to hook up with the local guys and just get advice. What equipment are they using for the conditions that they're riding in? And you just need to do your research. Don't buy something on the impulse because it's the latest gear or it's cheap or it's whatever. I've seen such a surge to guys buying really high aspect foils. And then you see them all for sales a few weeks later on, on eBay or whatever because they don't accomplish what they're trying to do. So, yeah, super important that you do your research and you get the gear that is right for you. Yeah, don't get the gear that you need in two years or next year when you're good at it. That doesn't make sense. Exactly. And it just makes the learning curve so much harder and it just makes the whole journey unpleasant. It's not enjoyable because it's a frustration. That's one of the reasons why I never got, got into surfing because I felt that I would come off the water more frustrated than what I would go in. And it just didn't appeal to me. So... You know, it's the same with foiling. If you don't get the right gear, you're going to come off the water more frustrated than what you are going into the water. Yeah. Again, get the right gear, yeah. yeah. Winging can be very frustrating in the beginning, for sure. <laughs> 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 There's not quite enough wind to get up on the foil or something like that. You're just struggling and cursing. It's the worst. But yeah. once you figure it out and you it's hard to compare it to anything else, really. Right? So. It's an extremely rewarding sport, I must say. Yeah. Okay, awesome. I think that's a good note to end it on. Thank you so much, Clifford. Uh, oh, Robert, thank you very much. Talking. Thank you very much for your time. And uh, I'm going to call you again uh, and see what's new. And maybe have your new website up. All the new stuff. Will do. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Robert. Yeah, I think you're darling some attention. And then maybe you'll have that new foil with the... <laughs> well, the digital foil, but yeah. <laughs> okay. We'll see. All right, have a great day. Okay. Aloha. You too. Cheers, Robert. Bye bye.
Okay, so we got a little bonus material here. Um, I asked if he still had his first photo that he built, so he showed me this photo. So talk a little bit about that. So it was the first prototype that I made. It was actually, the cord was actually a lot less. You can actually see where I've extended it. Can you, you can see my mouse pointer, eh? Yeah. So the cord, the wing actually stopped over there and then I added this section here on because the foil was too high aspect ratio and it just, it just didn't have enough lift. So then I just patched on the back section here just to get an idea of what sort of size that I'd need. And yeah, you can see the dust on it. It was, but yeah, that, that was the first surf wall that I ever made. Awesome. And then this is all one piece, like you, you've just glassed everything together, it looks like? Or? No, the, uh, so that was a separate fuselage. So that fuselage was bolted onto the front wing. That's where I realized the torque on the fuselage is just immense. It's not going to hold it. And that's when I changed the design to include the fuselage into the front wing, which has been probably one of the best things that I've done because the force that is exerted through there is huge. And the proof of that is the amount of companies that have changed their designs to to include the fuselage onto the front wing because it's just it's definitely superior your responsiveness is that's just so crisp yeah, yeah that makes sense because just... basically your whole body weight gets transferred or the foil creates the lift and every the force from the foil versus everything else is, goes through that point and then the fuselage between the fuselage and the mass the front wing a lot of force that's the most most stressed area on a foil without a doubt that, that connection from your front wing to through the fuselage to the mast because i mean you, you're twisting it you kind of shear it apart so yeah. it's imperative that, that that's really strong yeah and then i guess also the way you lay up the fibers inside the mold to to handle those stresses is important too right like the because you have to have basically the, the direction of the fibers has to match the direction of the stresses. And then it looks like you were using a shuttle box or like early on? So that was a, what they call the KF box. Oh. It was specifically for kite surfing. It was a kite foil box. So the first um, generations of them had just one bolt in and then later on they put two bolts in. So it worked well. Okay, I thought that was a cool little bonus thing, but at the end the picture froze. And I lost Clifford and he said he had a power outage so couldn't come back on. But that was cool to see his original foil, his first foil he built. That's where it all started. He's definitely a pioneer, one of the first to design high aspect foils, record breaking foils for downwinders and so on. So thank you Clifford for your time and hope to see you again in a year or so. We'll come back for another show at some point. Thank you all for watching. I really appreciate the Blue Planet customers that make this possible. The people that support Blue Planet make this show possible. So thank you for that. And, and that's it for today. I have another show coming up soon. So thanks for watching. Make sure to give it a thumbs up and we'll see you on the water. Bye.